This is the Die Hard. Sale winds. He fires. Swing and a miss. Frankly, it's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Tom Brady takes the snap, drops to the knee, and the Patriots have won their sixth Super Bowl title. The Die Hards start now on the Sports Map Radio Network. Here's Anthony Pepe and Friends. Good evening to all of you and good afternoon to you. For those of you that are listening on the West Coast, this is indeed the Diehards on Sports Map Radio Network. This is your host, Shukri Wrights, alongside Brendan Connolly of the Boston Herald, the, the man, the myth, the legend, legend himself, here with me in the Pepe Compound and Studios here in Boston, Massachusetts. Good evening to you, Brendan. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Shukri. It's great to be on a show with you for the first time ever, full time. Yeah, yeah, and it's the first time ever where we've done a show together. The last time we worked together on radio was doing the play-by-play of the Thanksgiving game um, here locally last November. So it's quite a thrill to be working with you this evening. It was pretty funny. I, I got a message from the boss upstairs at Sports Map Radio, and he said, we're going to uh, partner you with a new host tonight. I was like, who's that? Oh, it's Shukri Wrights. It's like, oh, well, we go way back. So that works just fine. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's why I feel like tonight's show is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to get a lot into baseball, especially during the first hour. And, man, we got a lot to get into, especially with the way things are shaping up in the American leagues, most notably. Oh, for sure, especially the American League East. I know you're a big Yankees guy. I'm a born and raised a Red Sox guy. So yep. I think we have some stuff to talk about for sure going into that first segment. Absolutely. And one of the things that I am most curious about is there's a brewing controversy that's now been started, and I should I say, flamed by um, Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe. And I just want to get your quick thoughts on what he tweeted out and why it's angered so many Red Sox fans. Well, first, let me pull that uh, tweet up for you, but I'm assuming it has to do with Tanner Houck. Oh, yeah. Okay, so as we all know, last night the Red Sox had a lead, ninth inning, and they blew it, of course. Big reason, they didn't have Tanner Houck, who is out because he had uh, he did not get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So interesting case here because it's – most of the restrictions have been lifted here in America, but in Canada, it's still a big thing. So, unfortunately, they paid the price big time last night, and that's probably why Shaughnessy ended up tweeting out what he did. Exactly, and we're going to get much more into it as we progress along in this show, but stay tuned for that. We have a lot more to get into as we move along in this program. You are listening to the Diehards on SportsMap Radio Network. Listening to the Diehards on the Sports Map Radio Network. Here's Anthony Pepe and friends. Welcome back to the Diehards on Sports Map Radio Network. Glad you're able to join in and listen to the program this evening, wherever you are here in the United States of America or even elsewhere if you're north of the border by any chance, where the Red Sox are currently playing right now against the Toronto Blue Jays. They are currently tied 1 1 in the bottom of the third. So, Brendan, let's get right into it. Baseball heavy. Coming hot and ready and loaded your way right here, right now. In terms of the American League East, Yankees won earlier today. They beat the Oakland A's 5-3. to They completed a three-game sweep. They're currently 56-20. and As we begin to look at the historical context and nature of what the Yankees are doing in the first half of this season so far, what are some of your overall thoughts and takes on what the Yankees have been able to accomplish? Uh, I was going to say, I think uh... – I picked the Yankees to win the division 
at the start of the season, uh, but I do not expect this. This was unprecedented, and the run has been incredible. I do find it interesting because they've enjoyed the success with the Aaron Judge story in the background. That's been a hot topic the last week. They were able to avoid arbitration with him with a deal here, but there's still some concern there. Still, they're just rolling right through their slate. They're 13 games up on the second-place Toronto Blue Jays, who at this moment are tied with the Red Sox. And, and it looks like we got, a bit of, we got a bit of a melee breaking out in Toronto right now as we speak. Wow. Uh, bre- yeah, breaking news. Um, so right now it looks, appears that the benches have cleared in Toronto with the, with the Blue Jays having runners at first and second with two out. I, we're not sure exactly what happened it looks but like it, something to do with. It has uh, something to do with Vladimir Nevada, Guerrero Vlad Jr. Because the last time I I was looking at the TV was Guerrero was at the plate at, at the at bat. I have no idea as to what happened. He's being restrained by George Springer in the Toronto Blue Jays dugout in Toronto. So we got a bit of a situation as we're talking about the American League East, and you talk about a way to. It looks like we're getting uh, into the heat of it right now. Yeah, like talking <laughs> about coming hot and heavy, like this is it right here. It looks like Nick Pavetta and Vlad Guerrero Jr. may have had uh, some kind of dust up here. Question is, what was it? Did he get drilled with a pitch? Because we looked up and we saw the benches clearing as soon as that happened. Exactly. And, <laughs> and as, we're, as we were talking about like the, the Yankees and their historic start. Clearly, they're both just trying to keep up. And they're, exactly. They're getting high. I mean, speaking of which, like the, the Blue Jays, they are currently trailing the Yankees by 13 games entering tonight in the division. So are the Red Sox, who are a half game behind the Blue Jays in the, in the division. So... When you think about the Red Sox and some of the reasons asked as to why they've been able to turn it around so far after getting up to that 10 and 19 start, you think back to their pitching as being one of the big reasons for their turnaround. But the one aspect that I've been consistent on here on this show is that they were going to be going into a 13-game stretch in which that they were going to be facing ALE's divisional opponents in which are 7 and 16 against. And they have not gotten up to a good start so far against the Toronto Blue Jays. So, Brenda, how concerned are you as someone who follows the team, someone who, who covers the, the Boston sports scene for, for the Boston Herald, are you for the on current state of affairs for the Boston Red Sox? Well, as a Red Sox fan, I wouldn't be too, too concerned overall. I think they've done a great job rallying this season. They started off horrible. I think John Balmer, our producer in Houston, saw this. The Red Sox actually lost to Houston 13-4 on May 17th. That dropped them to 14-22 and on the year. Yeah. Since then, they're 28-11. 0-2 in their last two, however, against tough competition here with Toronto. That's the biggest fear Sox fans had, was after they got through that stretch of mediocre competition, how were they going to respond? To start, they had a dud, 7-2 loss, and then last night they blew it in the ninth inning. So, pretty rough start if you're a Sox fan. I still expect them to rebound. However, it's not very encouraging to start. And that's part of the reason why, like, I have been playing the air of caution for Red Sox Nation in which that if you're a Red Sox fan anywhere across America, you are excited, you're feeling optimistic, but... I have been on the air side of caution because of their record within the division. And although it's early in game three of this three-game set against the Blue Jays, they're tied 1-1, but you can't help but to feel a bit concerned moving forward after this series because after this series against the Blue Jays, they have an interesting stretch in July in which 
it can pose some serious challenges for the Red Sox after the three-game series against the Cubs. They got a stretch of 14 straight games against Tampa Bay and the Yankees home and away. Your That's your season right there. If you're a Red Sox fan, it'll be the, the uh, difference between being comfortably in a wild-card spot. Oh, yeah. I just don't see this team making up 13 games in the next couple of months to get to um, the divisional championship. But I do see the Red Sox potentially competing for one of those upper wild card spots. And this is it right here. You go through this stretch, maybe go like eight and six, 500. You're still in the driver's seat. But if you go on a landslide, you could fall right out of contention real quick. And that's what they're trying to avoid, especially against um, the Blue Jays, in which if they don't win tonight, they will suffer a, a sweep at the hands of the division rival, in which that speaking of the Red Sox, one of the big storylines for this team so far this season has been their homegrown stars and Heim Bloom's philosophy of building a roster that is going to contend year in and year out, not just only for the future, but for the now. However, they have not been able to come to a contractual extension agreement with Xander Bogarts or Rafael Devers. So if you are a Red Sox fan, why is there reason to be concerned for the Red Sox and ability to come to an agreement, to a long-term agreement with both Borgards and Devers and not have to choose between one or the other? The biggest concern, I think, is the fact that they signed Trevor Story in the offseason. Without Trevor Story, I think there's no concern that there's a replacement in waiting. I exactly. think that's a big reason why Sox fans are all concerned when they signed Trevor Story. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, exciting at first. Hey, another big bat for the lineup. Then you started thinking about it, and then you saw the tea leaves with how the Bogart situation was unfolding, and you, people started to think, oh, maybe there is a plan in place there just to replace him, which kind of stinks because this season – the Red Sox have actually surprisingly been carried by their pitching, which has been impressive because I thought they were very short-staffed in that department going into oh, the yeah. year. Their bats were struggling for the most part, but the only two that were producing were Bogarts and Devers for those first few months. They kept the Sox afloat. I still think they're going to get a deal done with Devers, but as a fan, I'd be concerned about Bogarts. I would be concerned because you talk about Bogarts and what he's doing this year. He's in the top three in every single offensive category so far. And there is no replacing the leadership that he provides and what he brings to that clubhouse. You talk about the importance that he that he was to this team in 2018 when the Red Sox won the World Series after winning 108 games during the regular season. But if you're Heim Bloom, you're looking at this and saying, well, in case if things don't work out in terms of com coming to a newer contract, we do have someone in-house that can play short. But Trevor Story has come out and said that he's willing to play second base if they're able to come to a contract extension with Xander Bogart. So how comfortable are you if, in fact, Bogart does depart, uh, depart when his contract expires of Story being able to play shortstop in Boston? I think he's gotten better as the year's gone along. To start, I was really concerned. We were uh, making the comparisons, a lot of people were, to oh, yeah. Carl Crawford. I mm -hmm. mean, the guy was struggling mightily at the plate, just couldn't seem to uh, find any sort of success whatsoever in the field or at the plate. But he seems to have turned it around. He started to hit a little bit better. Still got a ways to go. I, I'd be happy with the fact that they have a guy like Story on the roster to replace a guy like Bogarts, but that would not be my preferred route. I would keep them all in-house because you're the Red Sox. Absolutely. In terms of the Red Sox, if there is number, if there's a concern that you do have, and that is how do they address 
the number one weakness, and I think at this point it's got to be their bullpen, how do you go about addressing it if you're high in balloon instead of going after a particular player that may or may not be of benefit like last year? The Red Sox, they could have used, used additional pitching, but they went out and got Kyle Schwarber, the, the DH. They, although the Kyle Schwarber move worked out in the end, but at the end of the day, every Red Sox fan knows that you need pitching in order to even continue to continue as the wild card to have any sort of chance in October. Because right now, if we're going to be honest, if you're talking about going up against the powerhouse team that, that is the Yankees right now, your bullpen is going to be the reason why the Red Sox are not able to overtake the Yankees come October. Yes, I think the biggest question is uh, with Tanner Houck. We mentioned it earlier in the show. He uh, didn't get the vaccine. As a result, missed the game last night. It ended up costing the team. That is one area of the bullpen, I think, where they are possibly locked in yeah. right now. As long as, God forbid, you go up against Toronto. If he wants to stick with his choice to not get the vaccination, if you go up against Toronto in the playoffs, you're in trouble. But yeah. otherwise, I think they're in good shape from the closer position. Um, the rest of it, it's hit or miss. I mean, you but, here's out- the, but here's the concern that I have. Tanner Hoek has decided not to get vaccinated. Okay. We're not turning this into a political discussion, mm-hmm. but at what point, if you are a teammate of his in that clubhouse and you go up to him and say, listen, we need you come the postseason, come October, because you are that important to the bullpen. When are you going to get the vaccine? And this is not about, oh, it's my body, my rights. You are now jeopardizing the potential success of what your team is able or could potentially be able to do come October. And that is not fair. It's it's definitely a tough spot to be in. Um, yeah, it's definitely a tough spot to be overall. I'm uh, Unfortunately for them, that's the position they're in at this moment with Tanner Houck. He, like, he chose to make that choice, and as a result, when, if they go up against a Canadian team like Toronto in the playoffs, they're going to be shorthanded, which is disappointing overall. Um, looking at the rest of the pen, I would like them to add somebody for sixth or seventh inning because – that would be my main thing. Mm-hmm. I think a closer would just cost way too many assets. We saw what it did with Kimbrell a few years ago. I think Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It was way Great too much. Point. I don't I don't think the Sox want to part ways with that many assets to get a closer. I think a bullpen piece could help, and I feel like they could use a first baseman of sorts. Some depth there. They they need a first baseman because, listen, I, with all due respect to Franchi Cordero. Who's had a pretty decent he's, year. He's, by he's having a, a decent year. He did get better in comparison to what he was a season ago, but the reality is – you need offense from that position, and if we're and if we're going to go into October as we're getting ready to to hit the official first half mark of the season, you got to be thinking that you can't be having holes in your lineup, especially after after JD Martinez is a bit of a downfall in terms of offensive production. Oh, for sure. I mean, after that, you're in uh, pretty big trouble. Absolutely, and and ultimately. I think that the Red Sox and High and Blown has to be they have to be thinking you gotta make a legitimate move and not just let's get a role piece and hope that he, he works in because at this point if I if I'm Alice Cora, I'm looking to to absolutely embarrass the heck out of High and Bloom, especially last night's loss, oh. which really should have been the the most maddening loss of the season for the Red Sox. I think Cora has done a good job in terms of keeping his emotions in check last night. You saw the cracks in the oh, yeah. game. He was not happy with that. It, he's probably thinking, oh, my God, I'm so shorthanded. Like, what do you expect me to do here? So I don't blame him for showing some emotions. He went out on uh, WEEI earlier today and even said, ooh, I let it out there. Whoops, basically. I don't blame him. I don't even think he should be, should be apologizing. Good. 
Heim Bloom, get off your errand and make some moves because this is ridiculous. You're running a, a big market team, not the Tampa Bay Rays. And I've been saying this for over a year. If there is one criticism that I do have of Heim Bloom is that he operates within the constraints of we're the Boston Devil Rays and we are we are hamstrung in terms of financial um, capabilities. We can't spend and so forth. And it drives me mad as a baseball fan. What are you doing? And John Henry is completely a-okay with it because, after all, he's getting paid. Now that he's the owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Red Sox as, as owner of the Fenway Sports Group, like, give me a break here. Like, like come on. Like, what are we doing? I, I give him credit. He has started to build the farm system back up. But you're the Red Sox. Spend a little money. Go into that tax. Be Dombrowski once in a while. That's all I want. I want World Series championships. In order to get it, you have to overspend and go into the luxury tax. Absolutely. As we are inching towards a break, coming up next on the other side of the break, we are going to get into Beantown Rundown here in the program as we are going to run through a list of topics in which that we are going to discuss. And one of them just may bring out the fire out of Brendan. I can't wait. That's, that is coming up on the other side of the break and much more. You're listening to the Diehards on Sports Map Radio Network. You're listening to the Diehards on the Sports Map Radio Network. Now time for the Beantown Rundown. All right, boys, let's do this. Here's Anthony Pepe and friends. Welcome back to the Diehards on Sports Map Radio Network. Shukri Wrights alongside Brendan Connolly here with you this evening as we're going to start the Beantown, uh, the Beantown breakdown with some big NBA news in which the San Antonio Spurs trade DeJounte Murray to the Atlanta Hawks for, Dan- for Danilo Gallinari and three first-rounders. First immediate thoughts and reactions when you first heard the news, Brendan. Well, I was surprised it was the Hawks. I'm like, oh, wow, so they're trying to make a move here. They didn't really part ways with any big assets. I thought you would have had to give up a guy like John Collins. That's Oh, yeah. Nope. Apparently they're all staying there, and they're just part <laughs> ways with a few uh, uh, ancillary pieces. So here we go. Watch out. There's another candidate to emerge from the Eastern Conference now if you're in the NBA. I'm shocked because you, you talk about um, Eastern Conference teams that have terrific duos as it currently stands, you first think of the Boston Celtics, obviously, with Tatum and Brown. Now you can add the Atlanta Hawks to that conversation with DeJounte Murray and Trey Young in that backcourt. So here's some of the details from that trade that, that happened earlier today. According to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, who tweeted this out, in which the Spurs will, re- will be receiving Danilo Gallinari, a 2023 first-round pick via Charlotte that's protected, 2025 first-round pick. 2026 pick swap and a 2027 first round pick and that is what the san antonio spurs will be receiving as they trade away their star dejounte murray number two topic on the on the on a bean town breakdown it is going to be we're going to talk about a couple of teams who have homegrown stars that are going to be eligible for new contracts on shortly aaron judge he came to a, an agreement to avoid arbitration one year, $19 million, and that comes with incentives. He can earn an additional $250,000 if he wins the AL MVP award and an extra $250,000 if he's named World Series MVP. Do you think he will still be with the New York Yankees come 2023? You'd have to think so. He's their star. He's the shining star in New York. I'd be stunned if he's elsewhere, honestly. I mean, you would have to be. like You have to think Cashman and the Steinbrenners are thinking of ways they're going to 
clear some space maybe. Maybe they're trying to install the Heimblum model down there themselves. Oh, because- Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. It sounds like a Stop it. I mean, it's no. a possibility. No, no, no. In New York, you think that's going to fly? Instituting oh, it, I'm not saying it'll fly. I'm just saying maybe that's what they're trying to do here because oh, st- I can't think of another reason why you wouldn't bring back one of the top five players in the game. That w- that would make me so angry, even as a Yankee fan. Like, what do you think, though? Do you think he's back? I think he is, and I would be, again, truly shocked that he's not back with the Yankees considering that right now he is a top three player in the sport, in Major League Baseball, bar none, no arguments to be had. If he goes elsewhere, I think it'd be a, a collective shock to baseball and as well as to the New York Yankee uh, fan base that knows that he is the face of the New York Yankees. He is the leader. And for a team that has, is having a historic season so far, he is going to be expected to lead them deep into October this fall. For sure. And number, let's go with number three, NHL, the Colorado Avalanche, Stanley Cup champions. They finally won their first cup since 2001, beating the two-time defending champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. My question to you now is, do you think Nazem Kadri comes back to the Colorado Avalanche, or do you think that he will leave as a free agent? Ooh. Um, I feel like he's going to be back. That's just a guess. It's gut feeling. I feel like I, hey, think he, you, I think he will be. You won the Stanley Cup. If they had lost, Tampa goes three-peat, and there's still some drama there. Maybe he does leave. I think he's coming back, though. They reached the pinnacle. Maybe all's well. Uh, absolutely. I think he will be back, but I wouldn't be surprised if an NHL team says, hey, come, I got some money over here. We'll give you $9 million if you if that's what you want. <laughs> you, you'll be on $9 million first-line centerman. I mean, he, he, he is that offensively talented. I wonder which team could use that. It ain't the Maple Leafs. I mean, they, after all, <laughs> after all they, they traded him to Colorado. But in a move that clearly did pay off for the Colorado Avalanche, you got to give Joe Sackett a lot of credit for having the guts to make that move when a lot of teams after the 2019 season were not willing to make a move for a guy like Kadri. It was a team that identified their need and executed. Oh, absolutely. Next question. If you are the New York Knicks, do you even consider the fact that Jalen Brunson could be the star that ends up with the New York Knicks? And if so, why? Well, I think they just—they need a point guard. They need a, some buzz. They need a name. So let's go in and uh, sign a guy who is decent, who is somewhat of a name, was the second-best player on a team that went to the Western Conference Finals. Behind Luka Doncic, yes. Yeah, there's a big name in front of him, of course. But, oh, yeah. hey, <laughs> he's a, but hey, he's a big name. Let's bring him in. Why not? I think the uh, Knicks are about to overpay for a guy who I think is a starter in this league, but I don't view him as a top-of-the-line point guard in the league or anything like that. Absolutely. No, I, he's going to be an upgrade for them, but I don't think he's going to bring them an NBA title by any means. Like, that's not a name that jumps out to me. And and that's something that it surprised me when I first saw that Jalen Brunson to the New York Knicks was like, wow. Yeah, that's an important number if 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 that is going to come to fruition. Now, the NFL. Last question on on the Beantown breakdown, NFL base. I am like you in which I am thinking about the Las Vegas Raiders. New head coach in Joshua Daniels, new weapon in Vegas with the trade for Devontae Adams, and new expectations for the Raiders. 
do you think that this is the year they break, they get into the playoffs and potentially make some noise? I think they do get into the playoffs. I think they've got the quarterback that's been in their system for years that was missing a few pieces. They brought those pieces in. They brought in a coach who actually knows what he's doing with the offensive playbook. Question is, will McDaniels have success this time around in his second go-around as a head coach? I think the uh, Raiders do get into the playoffs, maybe get in as a wild-card team. I think Kansas City wins the division again this year. It's going to be competitive. I think the, the Western Conference is going to be very, very, very competitive this year in the NFL. Oh, no no question. And I am excited to see how it's all going to shake up. Coming up next on the other side of this break, we're going to talk Santa Cup Finals and get your thoughts and my thoughts as well. You're listening to the Diehards on SportsMap Radio Network. Listening to the Diehards on the Sportsman Radio Network. Here's Anthony Peppy and friends. Welcome back to the Diehards on Sportsman Radio Network. Shukri Wright's hosting the show tonight alongside Brendan Connolly. Here with you until 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific. Thank you all who are tuning into the Diehards this evening on Sportsman Radio Network. As we are continuing to roll along in this show, and we're going to talk about the Santa Cup playoffs that just concluded. And we all can have a collective sigh of relief. And for all of you that are listening in the Rocky Mountain region, congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche. First Stanley Cup championship since 2001, winning for Ray Bork. Brendan, your thoughts on the series overall and some of your lasting memories from what was truly an unforgettable Stanley Cup final. Well, I thought it was very impressive. Colorado was one of the teams I picked to go to the Stanley Cup Finals all year. Tampa was the other. Um, And I had hoped for Colorado to pull away with the Stanley Cup Finals if my Bruins couldn't make it because Kale McCarr is a fellow UMass UMass guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone's tied together there. We're all friends. So the fact that he won the Conn Smythe just warms my heart. The guy who turned around the program at UMass. Because I remember 2013, I was calling their hockey games. UMass was horrible which is one of the worst teams in college hockey. Wow. The fact that they turned it around the way they did over there speaks volumes. But back to the main storyline here, uh, I thought Colorado was very impressive this entire Stanley Cup final. They found ways to win the close games in overtime. They found ways to blow out Tampa in other uh, other games, which not many uh, organizations have been able to over the last couple of years. Overall, I thought it was a good Stanley Cup finals. Uh Probably could have been better if it had gone to Game 7, but still, I liked how it shook out. And congratulations to Colorado ending the uh, Tampa Bay dynasty. So I, I don't think it should have gone game, the Game 7, but I'm glad it ended in Game 6 because for this for this reason here, when you think about what the series brought forth in terms of drama, star power, and grit, it, there was no shortage of storylines going into the Santa Cup final. And the thing that I'm going to remember most about this Santa Cup final is we saw the emergence of the aforementioned Kale McCarr, who won the, the Conn Smythe Trophy in a surprise decision, that, but, but, but still a terrific decision regardless. I thought it was going to go to Nathan McKinnon. But Kale McCarr, one of the major storylines in the Santa Cup playoffs from this past Santa Cup playoff as a whole, 
wins the Consmite Trophy, and we saw a young stud defenseman really immerse himself into Stanley Cup Finals lore with the performance that he that he had in the finals and as well as being one of the major reasons why the Colorado Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. He was one of their leading scorers the entire playoffs. 29 eight, points. 29 points, 8 goals, 21 assists. He's the full package. Yeah. He, he is the superstar defenseman that teams crave and are searching for endlessly. Oh, and not oh, not only that, he can actually shoot the puck and snipe. He's oh, yeah. incredible. He's the perfect talent. Uh, going into the series, uh, 10 ESPN experts out of 26 picked him to win the Conn Smythe, and they were proven right. Uh, do you know who the next closest one was? Vasilevsky with seven. Nobody else had, Amazing. had anywhere near that. And to put in perspective the season that Kale McCarr had, he had 28 goals, which is unheard of in today's era of NHL defensemen. 58 assists. I mean, you don't see defensemen being able to have control of the puck the way that, he's, that he does, the way that he's able to generate offense in 86 points as a whole, which is tied for 20th in, in the entire NHL. When you talk about Kale McCarr and you talk about the dynamic play that he brings forward, obviously he, he won the Norris Trophy as the best defenseman in the league, and rightfully so, but you look at the offense that he brings on a nightly basis, and this past Stanley Cup Final, I read this yesterday, and he averaged more than 27 minutes of total on-ice time per game. Talk about durability and still being able to perform at a high level. The, the way that Kale McCarr has been able to, it's been rather impressive. Oh, it's been incredibly impressive. And I think the real way to gauge if you see a special talent in sports is to just look at what my younger brothers, who are casual fans of sports, oh, say. Yeah. My brother was actually part of the UMass Bull Gang a few years ago wow. when Kale McCarr was there. He didn't really care that much about sports. He said McCarr got him invested in hockey. Most wow. excited he's ever been watching a player. That's, that's incredible. You talk about the, the impact that Kale McCarr has on hockey fans everywhere and the impact he's going to have on millions of hockey fans for years to come. And another point I want to touch on in regards to what we saw in the Stanley Cup Finals, the Tampa Bay side of things, they fell short in their quest to, to three-peat to become the first team in the, in the NHL Two to, win, the to, puck to win, really. yeah, to win their third straight Stanley Cup, the first team to do so since the, 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 the New York Islanders dynasty in the early 80s. And you talk about the injuries that that team had a battle through, which included a Braden Point quad tear. Brendan, you got to give credit to the Tampa Bay Lightning in terms of their ability to persevere through the injuries and still come pretty close to winning their third straight Stanley Cup. I joke that they circumvent the cap a lot in order to get <laughs> to acquire their talent. Sounds like haterade, only because <laughs> I, I never fell into that kind of talk. Because I look at Tampa Bay and I said, listen, they were smart. They did what the New England Patriots of the NFL have been doing for years, and that is finding a way to to turn the corner or to get around certain rules oh, and I was, use it to their advantage. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, I, I was going to say, I mean, I do find it interesting. But, hey, give them credit. They fought through a lot of hurdles in the playoffs. Yeah. I think going into the Stanley Cup playoffs, they weren't really the favorite because they were just so dinged up and there was so much parity. Uh, people thought Carolina might be the candidates to come out of the East. But Tampa is seasoned. They knew what they were doing. Absolutely. They're, they've been here before. 
they once the uh, bright lights came on, they flipped the skates back on and they just went back to sniping goals. And I'll give them credit. They really, they did fall two bounces of the puck short here. A freak bounce in game four with Nazem Kadri's goal. Oh, great point. And then Burakovsky's goal in game one. And you talk about the, the avalanche and their incredible story, but you can't talk about the avalanche during this series without talking about Valerie Nutrishkin. And, oh, my God, you talk about what a Stanley Cup final and what a way to 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 introduce himself to the, the history books of the, of the NHL. He scored two goals in that pivotal game two win, which was a blowout by the Colorado Avalanche against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And you talk about his impact during the series alongside Kel McCarr, but, but, but Nutrishkin deserves a lot of love here because prior to the series, not many people knew just how important he was to this Avalanche team that had been so deep throughout the entire season. Well, in that game, I think was the one that really kind of, I wouldn't say put the nail in the coffin, but it definitely... We do that in the Stanley Cup final. Everybody knows. Yeah. yeah. And you're in Tampa behind the eight ball right out of the gate. You're down two games to none. Not mm-hmm. many teams are able to come back from that. So, in a way, he might have won the series for them by just putting doubt in the minds of the Lightning. And that's a great point because you talk about game two, putting the seed of doubt in the minds of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Game three, they came back to win the Lightning. That is 6-2. It was a blowout. It was never really truly close. But then game four... The Kadri goal. The Kadri goal, and some fans would say it was a miss too many men on the ice call. But I don't see it that way. And the reason why I don't see it that way is because that happens more times than not in the NHL, especially in that situation. There's too many moving pieces that are happening on the ice at the same time, which for me, the morning after game four, I was not surprised, but I was a little like taken back given – the responses on social media in regards to that, to those final waning moments of Game Four, in which Nazem Kadri coming back after having surgery on his hand to score the winning goal to put Colorado in the driver's seat to win the Stanley Cup, that in itself is going to be something that's talked about for a long time to come. And we talked about nailing the coffin in Game Two potentially. That may have been the actual nailing the coffin right yeah. there because just think of it. I don't even think Kadri knew it went in when he looked at the replay initially. Like, yeah, it took he, he didn't know. It was it was almost like a look around, like what's wait, going on? What's, just, what's going on? And then he when he realized that the puck actually went in, it was like, oh, okay. Like just, the only one who knew was Vasilevsky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Vasilevsky was shocked himself. He was like, wait, what? 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 What just happened here? But man, you talk about the overall temperature in this series and the overall juicy headlines there is no shortage of them and when you look at the overall results you talk about the consmith picks by panel members Kel McCarr got the most votes over on Vasilevsky 10 to 7 and you talk about you talk, you talk about Kel McCarr and his New England roots obviously having gone to UMass the last hockey player to play for the Avalanche to bring it back to New England was, stop me if you heard this before, Ray Bork, 2001. <laughs> so I'll ask you, do you think he's going to do that when he has his day with the Cup? If he does, he better just bring it to UMass because I, <laughs> I don't think Boston wants to see that. Uh, but I think UMass would welcome Kale McCarr back to University yeah. Drive any second. I'd love to see him take a stroll from Hadley at the Big Y all the way down to campus. 
down that street with the cup. That would be incredible. Absolutely. And speaking of New England, we can't talk about hockey in New England without talking about the Boston Bruins. And mm. for those of you that follow me on Twitter, and by the way, shout out to all of my followers as I have eclipsed yet again 10,000 followers. Look at you. I mean, it's – stop it. Um, it's it's truly incredible. So thank you to all. For those of you that aren't following me yet, follow me at Shukri Writes on Twitter at S-H-U-K-R-I-W-R-I-G-H-T-S. And as well as my main man, um, Brendan, like your – what is your Twitter handle? Bcon sixty three, my football number from high school. B C O N N six three. Yes, and I talked about um, yesterday how I absolutely am going to just rip apart Don Sweeney. Mm. And before I even do that, we got to talk about the head coach because right now the Bruins are without a head coach. They their beautiful girlfriend that they dumped decided to go to Vegas, and now what happens in Vegas is going to stay in Vegas. Right now, their their coaching candidates are down to two: Jay Leach, and as well as David Quinn. Personally, I do not want David Quinn here in in Boston because simple as this: we don't need another Boston connection to be connected to the Boston Bruins. Well, I don't want this to be a, a good old all boys club. Hey, you got a Masters connection? Come on, yonder this way. No, 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 no. Please, enough with the nonsense already. Well, that's the first thing I noticed was immediately as I saw the names coming off the list, I'm like, up oh, two locals. Those are the two guys they're obviously looking at. Shocker. But uh, according to rumors, it seems like many are leaning towards Quinn to receive that job. Uh, as we all know, he was the former BU coach, kind of turned around their program, but he had a lot of talent. That's the thing that concerns me there. How will he do in this environment with this team? He he was around like 500. Uh, I think he had like a 97, 80, yeah. 96, 87, and 25 record in his three years with the Rangers, if I'm not mistaken, Yeah, to that effect. Um, and Jay Leach, who's mainly known for his playing days in the AHL and his recent coaching stints within the Bruins organization, which I think is the main reason why they're looking at him now. Uh, say goodbye to Cassidy. Just move up the next guy in line, Jay Leach. That just seems like what they're looking at here. And honestly, like, I mean, I understand why they're doing it. They're trusting the guys they know rather than taking a risk and going outside of their market. I really wish they brought in a bigger name, though, if that's the case. Like, I, I was looking for a guy like Barry Trotz. That would oh, yeah. be my go-to. Just a, a big name who will shake up the culture and not blend in with the current culture they have there. Looks like they're looking at keeping a similar culture with a different voice leading it. My only concern is if they go with David Quinn, fits. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you want someone that is going to lead the guys and lead that locker room and go and continue to be a contender for the players before the inevitable reset, which we all know is literally right around the corner for the Boston Bruins. But if you bring in a guy like Jay Leach, I do think you bring in someone who not only has familiarity with the Boston Bruins, but someone that has experience on um, being a head coach as well. Like Not that David Quinn doesn't. He obviously does have a coach the New York Rangers, but I'm willing to to give Jay Leach more of a chance, not because not because he is someone who has experience coaching in the Bruins organization, but because this is someone who I wholeheartedly believe could be a difference maker for a roster that's in that's a, a little bit of a transition period, if you will. Yeah, see, the, that's my only concern is that he might be too similar to what they've been using here. I kind of wanted just a little bit of a shuffle, but I get your point. Though. Yeah. You want a guy with seasoning, he's young, and uh, would probably – uh, get along with the players very well on that end. Don't don't go anywhere, folks. Coming up next, we have a lot more on this program. Our number two, 
starting a little bit after 9 o'clock. You're listening to the Sports Map Radio Network. You're listening to the Die Hearts radio program with Shukri Wrights and Brendan Connolly. You're listening to the Die Hearts on the Sports Map Radio Network. Here's Anthony Pepe and friends. Welcome back to the Die Hearts program. This is Shukri Wrights alongside with Brendan Connolly. We got a couple of minutes, so I'm just going to throw a fastball right at your head, Brendan. Oh, boy. Yeah, because you know what? I'm coming at you hotter than Kansas City barbecue. Ooh. Do you think Patrick Mahomes is going to be better off with, without Tyreek Hill this fall? I don't because, I mean, that's a – I mean, Tyreek Hill, for all he's had off the field, he is very, very talented on it, and that speed is irreplaceable. I think it's going to be very, very difficult for – That speed, that you can't replace – like, you can't replace your – most precious Ferrari that's sitting in the driveway somewhere. It's like you just decided to sell it out to some stranger, some poor guy who decides to buy it, and now you're left with a McLaren that's probably second fiddle to the Ferrari. But, man, I'm telling you, Kansas City is going to miss Tyreek Hill come this season, and it is crazy that Tyreek Hill is no longer a Kansas City chief, and Patrick Mahomes, he's going to miss that difference maker, although he's still going to have McCole Harmon as, as, as one of his top receivers. Another speedy guy. I don't know if he's got the hands that Tyreek Hill had, but no, we'll see. I don't think we'll he does. We'll see how he, if he takes it up a notch. Now, my question for Tyreek Hill, how will he work with Tua? Will Tua be able to get him the ball down the field when he's 90 yards up there? And that's going to be one of the big intriguing storylines this upcoming NFL season as we are getting closer to NFL training camp. On the other side of the break, our number two of the diehards with Sugar Rights and Brendan Connolly coming up on the other side of this break. You're listening to the Sports Map Radio Network.